11 and 12. I'd like for you to follow in a moment as I read. As we consider the matter of true judgment, I will confess to you that I approach this subject with great reluctance. For within this passage of Scripture, everybody that I have ever known stands condemned. Within this passage of Scripture, there are rules that are hard to follow. There are concepts that we just as soon weren't there. And yet, it is the eternal, authoritative, and perfect Word of God. And it's the truth. The matter of true judgment, James 4, 11 and 12. Speak not evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou who judgest another? It is quite natural for us to compare things, people, events, circumstances, performance, etc. But it is a very dangerous thing for us to do that in the realm of Christian living. It is dangerous because inevitably that kind of comparison does not cease with performance, but it carries over into the worth of persons. And before we know it, whether we realize it or not, we are looking down on other people. God commanded us in the Old Testament not to even think or to will evil to others. Now there is no punishment before the law of man. When we let our thoughts condemn, when we within ourselves pass judgment on others. But we are told that God sees and knows all. That God knows not only the thoughts of our minds, but those things that are hidden within our unconscious mind that we even ourselves are not aware of. God sees. God knows. God judges it. And James commands us that it is improper for us to judge another. There are some words that you ought to be familiar with. The word James uses here, translated judge, is a word in the Greek which means to pass judgment, to render a verdict as though a judge in a court of law is handing down the judgment of the court and passing a sentence. There are other words. Unfortunately, there are three words that we translate judge that have different meanings. There are two words that are very closely related to the word judgment. The word judgment is the word krino. There is the word diakrino, to judge from. And it has the meaning not of passing judgment, but of discerning the fact. There is the word anakrino, which means to judge with. And it has the meaning of investigation. And yet all three come across into our English by our word judgment. There is no mistake as to what James may have meant. James is not referring to discernment. He is not referring to investigation. He is not referring to finding out the truth and determining the facts. James is referring to an unholy, ungodly, satanic attitude that seeks to pass judgment without either the right or the proper information. And it is a tendency that everybody has. 
So notice quickly tonight the text, James 4, 11, and 12. First of all, in the early part of verse 11, here is what I have called faulty judgment. He says, Speak not evil of one another, for the one who does speak evil of his brother and judges his brother really speaks evil of the law and judges the law. James is not talking about the one who lets an idle word slip now and then. Nobody has perfect control of their mouth. James says if you ever find the individual who has absolute and perfect control of his tongue, you will find the perfect individual, and there aren't any of them loose, none of them around, nobody to examine to see what makes that kind of person tick because there just are not any of them. He is not talking of the idle speaker. He is not talking of the one who lets it slip. Rather, he is talking of the one in their tribe is large whose habit and pattern of life is a negative and critical spirit and the practice of exercising that spirit on other people. I read of an old country preacher who had one dear sister in the church that just never could really be positive about anything. One year is the luck of the weather and the happenstance would have it. She was just about the only one in the community whose potatoes made a big crop and didn't really lose anything. He said to himself, I'm going to make her happy if it kills her. So he went by her house and he was ooing and eyeing over the potatoes as they were being uh, brought in from the field and dug and washed. And he said to her, ah, oh, you must be happy indeed. He said, you've got the best potato crop in town. She said, yeah, preacher, it's so good, I don't even have any bad ones to feed the hogs. Well, I promise you, if you want to find something to be negative about, there's always plenty of fodder for that mill. You will never have any trouble doing it. And that is exactly the attitude that James is talking about. Now, I want to make a statement that I don't especially like, friends, but it's the truth. A negative critical spirit originates in the jaws of hell no matter how we dress it up and try to make it look like we're out to do the best for everybody concerned. The name Satan means the accuser. And whether your accusations are right or wrong, if you're an accuser, you're of the devil at that particular moment. God doesn't accuse. God convicts. Accusation produces despair. Conviction produces repentance. And there is faulty judgment because James tells us that when we judge each other, we're not really judging each other, we're judging the law. And if you want to read a little bit earlier in this same chapter and back into chapter 3, you will discover that the law James is talking about is the law of love. Agape love, the God kind of love, says, I will love, I will accept, I will forgive, I will forget, not because it's deserved, but just because I want to do it. And when we pass judgment and exercise a negative and critical spirit, we say to God, Lord, I know what your law of love says, but that's no good. We got to sock it to them when they deserve it. Now, the question that's quite logical is this. You want God to treat you that way? 
You know, I've never really known anybody with a negative critical spirit that liked to be criticized. Have you? You know why they are? Be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. There's a lot of wisdom that has found its way into the literature of man that originates with the mind of God. A philosopher said, if you would have a friend, show yourself to be friendly. God said, you're going to sow what you reap. Now, there's some folks here who plant things from time to time. Is it not true that you always reap the same kind of thing that you sow? Is it not also true that you always reap more than you sow? You have not God's promise, but, but not because God is vindictive, but God's statement of a very simple, eternal, and unbreakable law. That if that's what you sow, that's what you're going to reap. Do you really want God to apply the same critical negative standards to your life? that we all sometimes apply to the lives of other people. Our judgment, James says, is faulty judgment. For in passing of judgment, in rendering a verdict, we do our part to eliminate, to do away with the law of love. Praise of self, pride in our own accomplishments, will inevitably lead to the looking down on other people. And as we really do that, what we are doing is questioning their value and their worth. It is inevitable that we compare. And yet we must realize that in the realm of Christian living, a person is not judged by the greatness or the smallness of what they do. They are not judged by the way that you and I measure effectiveness. One is not judged by the standards of another. Rather, the scriptures say, to whom much is given, much is required. And I shall be judged on the basis of what I have done with what God committed to me. And just as great are the accomplishments of the saint who labors in the shadows and never receives any notoriety as those of the most famous of all the saints. Our judgments are faulty, James says. They are faulty because we always have a tendency to generalize. How quickly we draw judgments. You may find this hard to believe, but I once heard a man say in dead earnest, that he could tell you what kind of a man somebody was the first time he shook hands with him. Now that's funny. But it's really kind of sad because he meant it. We generalize. You may be in the public and you see a parent with a small child and the parent demonstrates anger, demonstrates anger out loud. They do something perhaps you don't think they ought to do it. Maybe they think they ought not to do it. And immediately you say, boy, they've got problems at that house. I don't know anybody that likes to be categorized, but I know a lot of people who like to do it. Our judgments 
are faulty judgments. I will confess that one thing that rather gets me when I'm in the mood to be gotten are instant experts. Let me apply that. This state split right down the middle on the presidential election. And in Missouri, and I'm sure it's not a lot different from here, I heard subsequent to and prior to that election some of the most unbelievable, idiotic reasons for the way people feel about people who run for public office. Now, there are just a couple of general things I want to say about that. It doesn't really matter whether you like the man or not. He's president of the United States, and you're sinning against God if you don't support him in every way and pray for him every day. He's your president. And I can think of nothing more ridiculous than deciding what kind of man he is, what he's worth, how good he is or how good he isn't on the basis of what kind of exposure you and I have had to him. Now, you know, that doesn't affect Yukon, Oklahoma very much because that man's a long way off and he's not likely to be here very often. But now that gets bad, friends, when you and I do it to the people that sit next to us in church. Our judgments are faulty judgments. Faulty judgments. And what James is really saying in the first part of verse 11 is the person whose practice of life is to do that kind of thing has got more spiritual problems than anybody in town. He goes on to say in the latter part of verse 11, our judgments are foolish judgments. If you judge the law, he says, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And the law, again, is the law of love, the royal law, as James calls it in chapter 3. Our judgments are foolish sometimes because they are arbitrary. We draw conclusions on the basis of inaccurate information. We do not discern, we do not investigate, we render a verdict and pass a sentence. You may see this in its radical form in the life of some churches that would just assume that anybody that doesn't conform to their exterior standards stay away, stay lost, and go to hell. That's an abomination before God. God has never asked anybody in the world to measure up to any kind of a standard except to qualify for salvation, and all you have to do to that, to be that, is to be a sinner. Our judgments are foolish judgments because they're very arbitrary. Now, it's not hard to read what James is saying here. The only one who has a right to judge the law of love is the one who stands above the law of love. No one has the right. No one has the information. Nobody has the position to do it. By speaking against somebody else, what we are really doing is condemning them. We are saying so much as I speak from a position of superiority and I have a right to evaluate. I have a right to judge. I have a right to render a verdict. 
And remember, there is no way that if you sow it, you will not reap it. No, how often we shake our fist at the heavens and either inwardly or outwardly we protest against God when all we're really doing is getting back what we've sown in the first place. Our judgments are foolish judgments. Our judgments are faulty judgments. And then notice in verse 12, here is what I have called full judgment. He says there is one lawgiver, only one who is able to save and to destroy. And then he asks the question, who are you to judge another? There is only one, one who, one lawgiver. That lawgiver is able to save and to destroy. These two words are in a tense of the Greek that indicates final determination. There is no remedy from the judgment of God, from the destruction of God. And there is no loss to those who have been saved by God. No way they will lose it. No way it can be taken away for both the saving of God and the destruction that comes from rebellion against Him are final actions. Neither one can be undone. And the thing that James is saying very obviously is, have you ascended the throne? Have you ascended the throne? Have you usurped the place of God and because of merit and superior intellect have you taken His place and are you now fit to render His judgments and to do His job? Who are we? Who are we to presume to judge another man's servant? Paul says in Romans 14, every man stands or falls to his own master. Every man stands or falls to his own master. Somewhere along the line, we have gotten the idea, all of us, it expresses itself in different ways at different times. We have gotten the idea that the whole purpose of everything that goes on around us is to make us happy. And we all have our own point of reference. If you look at a, a large object or a building from one side and somebody else looks at it from another, you will be viewing the same object, but you will receive different perspectives and very likely could not agree as to just exactly what it was you saw in detail. And the tragedy of that in the church is that when any of us in the church decide that the standards of judgment are our standards and God has destined us and ordained us to enforce our standards, that no two standards are alike. You know, most of us are either pleased or displeased with what our lot in life is, whether it's at church, at school, at work, at home, whatever it is, we're pleased or displeased, not according to what is being accomplished, 
not according to whether what's going on is good or bad, but whether or not it meets our own little set of standards. Like the lady who could find a rose in any thorn and a dud in any spud, we are just unable to render good judgment. Now bear in mind that I'm hampered by language. I'm not saying discernment, determination of the facts. I'm not saying investigation. I'm saying the passing of a verdict, the rendering of a decision. We are unable to do it. Let us remember that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. Oh, how presumptuous it is when we are less charitable with others than God has been with us. How presumptuous. Do you recall the parable the Lord Jesus told when he said a certain man owed his master a great debt and when he begged forgiveness in time to pay the master moved with compassion forgave him all that he owed and on his way out of the building he found a friend who owed him a few pennies and he ordered him thrown into debtor's prison until the pennies were paid and the master judged him not because of a lack of compassion, but because of the judgment he exercised on his brother. And when God has forgiven you and I so much, what right have we to allow walls to be built between ourselves over things that are of no value at all? Dr. Criswell tells the story of one of his early student pastorates I believe it was here in Oklahoma. And one day he visited one of the old deacons who began to tell him the story of the biggest fight in the history of the church. And he told him all in great detail and how it happened and how it carried on and on and it finally came to the climactic vote. And he said, oh, preacher, we won, we won. He said, well, what was the fight about anyway? said, well, I can't remember whether we wanted the piano over there or over here. You know, folks, if our kids acted at home the way we often act at church, we'd slap them down. And then we wonder why they don't listen when we speak. Oswald Chambers made a statement. This is worth remembering. Discernment is God's call to intercession, never to fault-finding. Discernment is God's call to intercession, never to fault-finding. The truth that James expresses here about judgment is not a very comfortable one. I derive absolutely no pleasure from delving into it, from talking about it, from illustrating the problem. But it's the truth. It is a liberating feeling 
It is like being loosed from the earth to fly at will for a Christian to finally understand that judgment belongs to the Lord. Worry is defined as trying to assume responsibility which does not belong to us. It is sinful, it is ungodly for us to take up offenses. For instance, somebody wrongs someone, at least in their estimation and in yours. You are not a part of the problem, you are not a part of the solution. It's really none of your business. And you develop a real bad attitude towards somebody who hasn't done anything to you. But they did so and so wrong. That's none of your business. You see, it doesn't involve you. And as you develop that attitude of hostility, of unforgiveness, of condemnation, are you by that attitude willing to really say in the face of God, Lord, I have a right to this attitude for, because there is nothing in my life that's out of place and there's no reason for you to condemn me. Jesus, and the Gospels use exactly the same work, word that James uses, crino, to pass a verdict, says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the same standard of judgment you use on others, I will judge you. True judgment. True judgment comes from God. There is a standard of judgment. There is a bar of justice, and all will one day stand before it. But in the meantime, none of us stands from a perspective of superiority because the ground at the foot of the cross is level. And all we like the straying sheep, belong in the same pen. James leaves us with a question. As he says, there is one lawgiver and there is one judge, and we qualify to be neither. Who are we to judge another? May we pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word even when it's not pleasant and even when we don't enjoy what it says and the light that it throws onto the darkness of our souls. Lord, I thank you that you don't always treat us the way we treat others. I thank you that we may come to you and confess with Paul if we believe not, yet he abides faithful, for he cannot deny himself. I thank you that we can glory with the prophet, that though our sins be as scarlet, they shall become white as the driven snow. Lord Jesus, deliver us from the necessity we feel to judge. Give us spiritual discernment Give us the ability to understand, but deliver us from judgment and criticism. Teach us as we discern to intercede on behalf 
of the one in need. Lord, I just think it would keep our spiritual vision 2020 if you would keep us always and ever aware of what we are down deep inside. And Lord, as we grasp that, we'll not very easily or very lightly turn a critical eye on somebody else. Lord, just help us to understand that you can handle everybody else, that every man stands or falls to his own master, that the only person for whom I am responsible is myself, as ultimately I stand before you. Give us a love for each other, a concern for each other, but deliver us from an attitude of superiority. Open our hearts to the truth of your word. Minister life by the touch of your spirit. May we be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath against your word. I pray that you shall do in this moment what you want to do with every one of us. And I thank you that you will. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand to sing as our hymn of commitment during this invitation time. Just as I am, as we stand and as we sing, whatever God would have you do, whatever it is, publicly or privately, do it right now. Do it quickly.